Welcome to the Fabric Podcast. This series of episodes is called How Much is Enough? And our hope is to dig into conversations about money. These episodes were captured as part of a live gathering in Minneapolis, and we're so glad you're joining the conversation now. So we're talking about money for the second week, and you're back, so it's your fault. Um, But we aren't really talking about money per se. We're talking about how we live with money, which is a really kind of a different subject. And I I think it's, um, well, it's more important to deal with and maybe easier in a strange sort of way. But, um, you know, we're we're talking about because money has this strange ability to play an outsized role in our lives. It calls shots. It takes control in places where it really has no right doing it. And it does it to virtually every one of us. And, you know, it's just kind of crazy. Um, I think a comedian Jackie Mason had it about right when he said, money, um, money is not the most important thing in the world. Love is. Fortunately, I love money. Um, <laughs> nice try, Jackie. doesn't work that way. Um, so we're calling this four-week focus, how, um, how much is enough? And money, that is, right? How much is enough money? Money, meaning your wealth, your material possessions, all that stuff that your money represents. How much of it is enough? Now, last week, we didn't try to answer that question. We answered a question I think is more important that's got to be settled before we start talking about that how much is enough question, and that is, whose is it? I mean, whose money is that? And I don't know if you agreed with where I ended up, but I would contend that your money is not yours, all right? I mean, it just doesn't. You aren't the source of it. You didn't make up the goods, the time, the effort, the energy, the being of yourself in order to produce this stuff. It was here. It exists with us and without us. And um, so... You know, our money and all that it represents is part of all that is. It's part of the world that we all share. It belongs to all of us. If you want to, you know, talk about in more conventional religious terms, some people say it belongs to God, but not in the sense that, well, God owns it, so God gets to decide how it's used and makes the rules for us. It isn't like that at all. It's like, how does it make sense? How does it find its meaning? How does it find its fulfillment? How does it find its purpose in the world? And it isn't because it just belongs to you, and you get to decide. It's yours. Now, I, I don't think it works that way. Now, how that all applies to you is different from how it applies to the person, you know, on the other side of the room here. I mean, for you, it might be a discussion about, you know, how you invest your 401k, while for another person, it's how they're going to get out of this massive debt they have, or another person it might be how they're going to make their welfare checks stretch throughout the month. Um, but uh, nonetheless, we all wrestle with these same issues. So if you need to catch up, go back and listen to last week's podcast and, and kind of catch up with where we are on all this. So this week, how much is enough? Let, let's do a little experiment. If you have your Sunday paper on the top right corner, there's a little box you can use. If you're on live stream or podcast, you know, just do this in your head. It's, it's really pretty simple. So uh, you can, on the top, the top line, write your total income, your annual income, or if you think in months, that's fine. What, what's your income? All right, write that on there. If you feel really funny writing it on there where someone else might see it, wonder about that a little bit. How come? Maybe that's why we need to talk about it today. Okay, so you got that number. This is how much you make. Now I want you on the next line, how much more do you think you need in order to really make it all work? Okay, put that number on there. And the third number is really easy. Just add them up. What's the total? How much do you need to make everything work financially for yourself? Now, here's why I ask. You got that final number there? 
that last number, how much you need to make work, make work, someone else in this room, I'd be willing to bet, has your final number as their starting number. And vice versa, your starting number is the same or maybe even bigger than someone else's final number. All right? Hmm. You know, that kind of makes me wonder, what does it tell us about having enough? Now, this has been studied. In fact, I have done it with large groups of people and, you know, where we actually took the statistics. And it tends to work this way. If you make $30,000, you think you need $6,000 more to really make things work. If you're making $50,000, you think you need an extra 10. So if you had 60,000. If you're making 75, you think you need maybe 15 more. If you're making 100,000, you think you need maybe 120 to make it all work. And what's really funny, that person that is making 100 and now thinks they need 120, a couple years ago they were making 50 and thought they just needed 60. Now, what, what, what's going on with all that? Uh, you get the trend there, right? And I bet it doesn't surprise you. I mean, I see a lot of heads now. Yeah, that's, that's, how, that's how it works. That's true. Now, if, on your, if your middle number is either zero or a negative, wow. I mean, that's, that's pretty amazing. I, I bet you've got a story to tell, and I would love to hear your story. All right? Um, I think that's not something that is possible for everybody, but it's kind of a neat thing to do. Now, the point of all of this is not that you do or, do not, or don't need money. Um, but that how much you need to have in order to have enough is kind of a hard creature to ever capture. You know, it just keeps eluding us. It just keeps escaping. The more you have, the more you want, it seems. Huh? So the answer to our question, how much, is a, how much is enough, is really, really simple. There is no such thing as enough. Okay? There is just no such thing as enough. It doesn't exist. If you chase it, you'll chase it forever. You know that already. It's the inflation of experience, right? The inflation of our expectations, the phenomenon of how wants turn into needs, or at least into kind of like basic necessities, right? I mean, you know, how that all happens. Um, Grace Pomeroy, who deals in this kind of stuff full time, and she's been here and done stuff with us as a community a couple times, she talks about lifestyle creep. Boy, oh, yeah, I, I know that. I know that. There's just so many things that are assumed to be part of our lives that we didn't assume to be part of our lives a couple years ago, like quinoa. <laughs> I don't know why that one just popped in my head right now, but that was my example. But, but then there's the other things that aren't just sort of like creep, but like, it wasn't that long ago. People didn't have cell phones. You didn't have internet plans. You didn't have to have a laptop and a tablet, um, you know. It just these things get added on. It just gets bigger and bigger and bigger. Um, but you know, this is one of our fabric foundational ideas, right? And when I hear you guys talk about what fabric contributes to you that's really valuable, this is one I hear may, named maybe more than any other. And that is, if you ask the wrong question, I don't care how good your answer is, it's not going to be helpful because it was answering the wrong question. The question, how much is enough, is the wrong question. It's the wrong question. So that is, makes me wonder then, so what is the right question? Well, I think the right question has to do about something else. It isn't about the amount. It's about the relationship, isn't it? It's not about how much you have. It's about your relationship with what you have. So that's really where, you, where we want to go today. Now, before I jump into all that, though, I want to pause and just... Uh, say out loud that 
the how much question isn't irrelevant. The amount question isn't irrelevant. There is a certain amount that we need to be able to function in this world, to care for ourselves, to be happy, you know, generally happy to um, be safe, to be secure, and so on in the world. And the fact that we live in a society where not everybody is able to attain that, in fact, sometimes it isn't just because they didn't, well, it's probably usually not because they didn't try hard enough, but they are among a group of people often identified by skin color rather than anything else. They're just not given an opportunity to be able to do it. They're systematically kept out of it. Or the ability to acquire wealth and be able to pass something down to care for future generations that are following you. The fact that some people don't have access to that, I mean, that is something that we can't sell with. That is something that we as a society need to address and make sure that everyone has the ability and an avenue towards those things. And believe me, we have enough in this country, we have enough in this, in this world that everyone could have those things, all right? Have that basic enoughness, all right? That basic amount. And to dismiss that with some sort of sentimental thing, well, it's not about how much, you know, it's about your relationship. Yeah, that's using what I'm talking about the wrong way today, okay? All right, so I think that's an important thing to say out loud. But... That said, the amount question, no matter how much you have or how much you don't have, all by itself won't resolve any of these issues. We all have to deal with our relationship with our money. Now, when you start acknowledging, like poking in and digging beneath the surface and start recognizing what your relationship with your money and your wealth and your um, material possessions is, you're probably going to find some stuff that you're not real happy to discover things that are typically hidden by our society because we have this, you know, just full bore drive towards the goodness of accumulation and, and bigger and better and success and stuff like that. Um, but basically, all of this amount of money question comes down to this one thing, and that is it's a matter of control. Who's in control? You or your money? So... Does your money serve you? That's one side of it, right? Your money's serving you. What that means would be that you internally have determined your identity, your values, your priorities. Those come out from within you. And then you take your money in order to express that, to live that out into the world, right? That's when you're in control. When your money's in control of you and you're serving your money, then it happens the other way. It means you externally look for things like job titles, the size of a house, your car, summer cabins, other possessions, uh, experiences, things that, you know, all that social approval comes along with them for you. They're all external to you. Or maybe it's debt that you've accrued because of your chasing after those things external to you. Those things now have captured you. And you have to do what you have to do in order to service that to, isn't that an interesting word? To service that. You are serving that. And uh, your inner values, they control very little of your life because it, when it all comes down to it, you need that money and you need to do and you need to be the person that will get the money that you have to have to do those things. Okay? Now, for all of us, I think it's a combination of the two. There's, people aren't all in one or all the other, but to recognize it and work with that. Now, when your money is in control and you serve it, a couple of things I think tend to be true, okay? You'll recognize these. Uh, 
Three things. Enough is what you want. When your money's in control, enough is what you want, and there's never enough, right? Scarcity is how you experience the world. It's, scarcity is what you experience. The world is a limited place with a scarce amount of stuff go around, and you need to strive for and hang on to what you can get. little feeling of desperation, worry, right? And third, leftovers are what you give. Leftovers are what you give. Because you never have enough, right? And things are scarce in the world. So by the time you meet all, you have met all of your needs, which are really wants that have crept into needs, right? There's almost nothing left over. And so that's all you have left over to give, which probably means there wasn't because there wasn't enough in the first place. So you don't give. Check in with yourself. What, what do your own conversations, maybe with other people, but maybe just the ones that run in your head, what do they feel like? What are the worries, the thought patterns that circulate within you? How, how do they reflect those things of enough and scarcity and leftovers? Okay, that, that's on one side. Now, on the other side, when you're in control of your money, when it is serving you, a couple of different things tend to be true. First, sufficiency is what you seek. And sufficiency, probably not defined by amount, but a state of contentment. Wow, we could do a whole four weeks on that word, contentment, huh? That's, that's an elusive one. But that's, sufficiency is what you seek. Abundance is how you perceive the world. The world is a place of untold potential, of gifts that can be given and received back and forth a million times and not run out. And some of them have monetary value and some of them don't, and that doesn't seem to be the important difference between them. Abundance is how you perceive the world. Generously is how you give. Gladly sharing from the top, not the bottom. Because you're eager to give to others, you're eager for others to experience, to have what is so important to you, and you want to see that happening in their lives. You're less focused on how you are fulfilled by how much you have, and instead you find your fulfillment in these amazing relationships, that these bonds of generosity and of mutual support and living and being a part of one another, what they create within your lives. Now, I just want you to soak that in a while. Because I know, I know, the voice that comes to my head right away is, you know, Greg, that sounds so good, and it's so true, and it's also just so idealistic, and it's not what this world's like, all right? We live in a world of money, and we just got to deal with it, all right? That's, things in this world are figured out economically. You know, they're measured, and it's, it's measurement, and it's achievement, and there is no way in the world to change that. So we just have to figure out how we're going to find a way to deal with our money in the midst of all that. Well... Most of the time, I probably, I'm, I probably agree with that. Yeah, I guess I think that's true. I, I get sucked into that definition of the world. But sometimes I wake up and I see it differently. There's a choice in all this, one that we get to make. We get to make it daily. We get to make it hourly. It's a choice to be a person who finds oneself in those three strands of one's true self and a relationship with others, all things, and a relationship with that which is, you know, that which is above and beyond and between and beneath and around and surrounds us all that, you know, a lot of people call God, but it just is, and it's part of what it gives all of our money and our wealth and our possessions meaning and purpose. But it's not easy. 
It's not easy. So which is it for you? You know both worlds, don't you? You've experienced both. You've had your feet in both. Which are you teaching to your children? Kids are talking about this subject right now. If you think you want your kids to grow up with a different view and understanding of how money and wealth and material possessions serve in their life, the conversation's already started in there. It's up to you to pick it up and to run with it. And don't worry if you don't feel like you've got everything figured out yourself before you do it, right? That's not being hypocritical. It's being aspirational. That's good. That's good stuff. How are you reinforcing this kind of thinking among your friends? What do you give your friends approval, acknowledgement, excitement about? What are the conversations you try to bring up? How do they reflect the way that you would want them to be understanding the money in their life and you would like them to understand the money in your life? What about where you work? Maybe, especially if you're responsible for other people, you're a supervisor, a boss, a a director or something. What, What are you demanding from them and the role that money plays in their lives or their role in your organization. What, what standard around these things do you hold your elected officials by? How do you choose which ones are doing it in terms of these ideas, too? So we got these two options. There's enough and scarcity and leftovers, or we have sufficiency, abundance, and generosity. Long ago, um, someone told me, your money will test you. I did not like that. I I thought they were like playing into this thing like, are you a person of God or are you rejecting God? You know, are you a material or a spiritual person? I I thought it kind of played into that whole idea that, um, you know, medicine has to taste bad to be good for you kind of thing, which I don't agree, I think. Um, I think money's a gift. I think money is something we're supposed to enjoy and care for ourselves and share with the world and love doing that. Like, like I said, I think money is a gift. It's not there to test you to see if you'll take it and reject God, right? That's not how it works. But it is a test, isn't it? I mean, the thing is, God, or however you want to think about it, God didn't put money in your life to test you. You did it. You're testing yourself with your money by what you decide the role you want it to play in your life or not, and which level of it you want it to be at. The Bible talks about money a lot, um, interestingly, more than prayer. (laughs) Why? Probably because it was getting in between people and their relationship with each other, the relationship with understanding who they were and with who God was. I would guess that is. One of the really wise things that is in there I think, is this expression, you've probably heard it, the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Now, people almost always hear that wrong. When they repeat it, they say, money is the root of all kinds of evil. That's not what it says, is it? It says, it's the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. It's that love part. It's the relationship that we have. You know, do you love your money? Do you trust your money? Do you look to your money? Do you rely on your money? with all of your heart, your soul, and your strength, and your mind? It's a good question. Jesus said something that feels like a wake-up call, too. We've talked about this a couple of times here. He said, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Where your treasure is, whatever it is that you treasure, that's where your heart is. What do you treasure? 
I mean, really, really. Not, not what do you say, what do you think, what do you want to believe about yourself. What, what do you treasure? What is the most valuable? Where are your priorities wrapped around? Don't say you love God with your whole heart, soul, and mind when you continually make decisions based on, you know, your bank account or what it says you have or don't have, all right? Don't tell those people in your life that you love them more than anything else in the world when you have already burdened yourself with so many obligations and barriers and who knows what um, because of decisions that you have made or are stuck with financially, and that determines how you're going to spend your time and where your effort and your energy is going to be placed and what the focus of your life is going to be about. Your money will test you. In fact, your money is already testing you. My money tests me too, and I don't always win the battle. And that's okay because it isn't about the battle. It's about life trajectory, right? It's about the decisions we continue to make after we made bad decisions and we continue to learn from it and find our way through it. And we do that together. That, that's why we're talking about this as a community because this is something we do together to be able to figure some of this stuff out. So what is it that makes it so hard to get our relationships with money right? Uh, I, I think it's valuable just to point these out even though you probably know them already. There, there's lots of things that just point out a couple. The, the first is pride. I did this. I earned this. It's that sense of it's mine that we were talking about. And, and you know, we, that comes with even little experiences that we might have of success and accomplishment. I did a lot of hard work for this, you know. Just think what it's like when you get a lot of recognition, a lot of reward for what you did. Now it's I'm pretty special. Like, I really deserve this. And there's just a really small jump from, I really deserve this, to, I think I really deserve a little bit more. And he keeps going. And maybe you do deserve more. But that's not the point. It isn't about the how much, is it? That isn't what you need to solve. It's the relationship. How do you see your identity? How do you see your contribution tied to the how much? How much might matter, but it's got to be following the relationship question. We get these things upside down for us. Another thing that messes up our relationships with our money is fatigue. <laughs> yeah, uh, money issues ever get any of you down, right? Ever wear you out? Yeah? Take you to the mat too many times? Maybe they preoccupy you. Maybe you tried to put your budget together and it felt so far off from your reality and you still aren't putting anything towards retirement. And all those things that you wanted to contribute to, like the, the earthquake in Turkey and Syria, you're just like, I really want to, but there's just like not, I, I, there's nothing to give. I mean, I would have to borrow it from a credit card to do it and that just doesn't seem to make sense. And, and maybe you're in that situation by no fault of your own. It wasn't your own bad decisions. Maybe it was hospital bills. Maybe you got laid off. Maybe there was an accident. I mean, who knows? I mean, it doesn't matter, but we get there, we get worn out, and we give up, and money wins, and it's in control, and we are dancing to its beat. Fatigue. Perhaps the most potent of all the um, money relationship busters is comparison. Comparison. Comparison, you can quote me on this, comparison is the enemy of contentment, all right? They duke it out, and comparison really knows how to win. And now you may be perfectly happy with what has been entrusted you. Your apartment is fine. Your house is fine. Your car is fine. Your, the bus ride you, you use for your commute is fine. Your job is fine. 
everything is good, no problem. And then you meet the Joneses, right? Shoot, look what, use our language, look what they've been entrusted with and compared to what I've been entrusted with, right? This is not fair, you know? Um, it's just hard to do that and to live, you know, what you thought was just fine just doesn't look good enough anymore. Comparison makes us focus on what we don't have instead of what we do have. Comparison is a trap that makes you live someone else's life instead of your life. Don't, don't get caught by that trap. Don't do it. Find ways to check yourself. Fortunately, we aren't helpless against these forces of pride and fatigue and comparison. Um, there are postures, practices, that help us get our relationship with money straight. I mean, just run through them really fast. Uh, lots, but let me run through three, I think, really powerful ones. Learn to be gracious. Accept that some people have more than you do. And some people have less, and maybe you need them to be gracious towards you, huh? This is a really corny phrase, but I love it because I say it to myself and it really helps. Um, admire without the need to acquire. Yeah, I know. I like corny sometimes. Works. Can you be happy for someone else, even celebrate the wealth of another person without being judgmental, without being resentful, without being envious? After all, don't you suppose there are others who might look at what you have and have some of those same judgments? I don't know that they're really being responsible with that wealth. Yeah, yeah. I think it's really funny that the word greedy applies to people who make more money than you, all right? Just check that out. See if that tends to be true in how people use that word, okay? Okay, great. Learn to be gracious. Another is practice gratitude. Now, gratitude comes up a lot. You're going to see it. I mean, that's a buzzword, and it's for a good reason. It's because it is just so true. Um, gratitude is the antidote for comparison. Gratitude focuses on the gifts that we have, not that you don't have. It's celebrating what has been entrusted with you. And along with enjoying it, you get to put it to work for yourself, for your family, and for other people. I mean, that's exciting stuff. Looking at what other has and what other people have and what you don't have, what you would like, that's an easy thing to spend a lot of time, a lot of emotion, a lot of energy on. Am I wrong, wrong about that? I mean, is that something that you just get sucked into a lot? Looking at what other people are doing? I, I think it is. Now, gratitude, I think, is also an instinct that we have within us, but it's one we need to cultivate because it gets buried and lost and forgotten so easily. Um, when we do practice gratitude, it feels like a genuine response to life. I think you're going to find that that's true when you practice it. You probably already know that it's true. Uh, building in practices that remind us to look for what we have and what we, not what we don't have is a really good check on ourselves. It feels good when we do it. It helps us remember and remember to keep our relationship with all this money stuff, you know, kind of in the right way. It also helps us to remember the difference between our wants and our needs. I, I get so confused on, is this a want or is this a need? And then I just start practicing gratitude and I don't know, it seems to shed some light on that quandary. Okay, another uh, thing that helps us straighten out our relationships with money is generosity. There, is, there are a few things that can help you 
escape the grip that money has on you than giving some of your money away. A few things you can do that will help you escape the grip of money on your life as much as giving some of your money away. And it really doesn't matter how much that you do, whether it's big or whether it's little. There's something about the declaration and the recognition that it isn't all yours in discovering how it finds its purpose and its meaning and how you put it to work in the lives of others or in our world that just has this strange positive effect on us. It sounds a lot like uh, something we talk about quite often, the difference between a, a fulfilled life and a full life. A full life is one where we try to do it with accumulation and all the stuff that we have. A fulfilled life is when we start using things according to what they really belong and how they belong. Generosity is freeing. Generosity is infectious. It's infectious. That's why when you, I mean, I think it's kind of a weird example, but when you buy the person's coffee in the coffee shop queue behind you, they have a tendency to buy for the next person. They aren't, well, there's maybe some guilt in there too, but um, I think it feels good. Okay, there's one more habit that helps us uh, keep our relationship with our money straight. It's called a budget. It's called a budget. Now, hear me on this. If money is a spiritual issue in our lives, and I really believe it is because it likes to play that role in our life. It wants to tell us that we can rely on it to give us the stuff that we need in order to be the human beings that we need to be. So I think that makes money a spiritual issue. So if money is a spiritual issue, then a budget is a spiritual practice because it is telling your money what it will be about in your life and how it will express your values, your priorities, and what's important to you in your life. So um, it's telling your, I, I like to think about it, a budget is your way of telling your money that it is going to help you pull your world together rather than letting it tear your world apart. So that's good. Money, it is not a how much, of, how much is enough question. Money is a relationship question. Did we ever say that here, Fabric, that everything's about relationships? I think there's an echo. Um, okay, so... Now, at Fabric, we take this money conversation really seriously, and we visit it pretty often. Um, if you've been around a while, you've heard us talk about all of this stuff before, because we need to, all right? And because we believe it's really, it's really important. And the best way for us to do that, and that, what is that? We, we want your real life to reflect your intended life. I mean, I, that's what Fabric is about. You, you've got these hopes, you've got these ideals, you want... And you know that it's just hard to get there. It's hard to understand it. It's hard to do it alone. It's hard to envision it all. So we're trying to pull those together for you, okay? And one of the best ways to do that is to bring up these conversations and help you start unpacking it, unpacking it and doing it together with other people. Because we're all in this together. There's nobody in this room that doesn't struggle with this. And it doesn't matter whether you're on the high side of income or the low side of income. It looks different in how it impacts us, but it, all, it impacts all of us, Okay. And so we try to do that. We try to give you a community can, that can do that. Now, our groups here, I mean, that's kind of why we create them, is to help us do this hard stuff together. It's a great place for you to, you know, to wrestle with some of these issues. Right? Everyone, you, you aren't going to a group so other people can help you with your financial problems. No, you're joining a group of people with financial problems. And together, you can share ideas and support and console each other, and you can hold each other accountable to mutually you know, agreed upon goals and things like that, be as transparent as seems to make sense for you. So you know, try that out. Um, if, you, um, 
you know, even if you're online right now or listening to the podcast and you'd like to be connected, we can help you do that virtually as well. But let us know, communication card, or just send us a message, and we'd be glad to help you find a group that can work with you on that. Well, anyway, so, um, so in these money conversations with Fabric, we have three goals. And many of you are going to recognize this. Pretty simple. We would hope that everybody connected to our community has a budget that they can live on. Seems okay, huh? A budget that you can live on. We'd also hope that you have a plan for getting out of unsecured debt. Unsecured debt, that's debt that doesn't have collateral behind it, like your house or your car. College education, I know that's kind of going crazy these days, but in a lot of ways that's an investment in your future. You know, but, but, but these you know, consumer debts that are just eating you alive. A plan to get out of that. The third thing we want to do is to support you in developing those plans sticking to those plans, and then getting back on them when you fall off, because you will, and that's okay, all right? But you've got the people to do that. So that's kind of what our goals around all this about. Um, we're going to talk more about those things as uh, this month wears on, but if you'd be interested in a workshop on either of those subjects, about budgets or debts, you can put something on your communication card. If you need help right now, um, call LSS. They have free professional support by phone, in person, or online, and they know what they're doing, and they're ready to help you. Their phone number is on the uh, bottom of your Sunday paper outline, so take a look at that. So here's the deal. You can start with the relationship with your money, and you can control the amount question. Right? Start with the relationship, and you will find that you can control the amount question. Or you can start with the amount question, the how much question, and you will spend your whole life there. The damage of the pursuit of enough is insidious. It eats up happiness. It robs us of joy. It casts a pall on even your best decisions. It undermines your own self-confidence because you catch yourself doing stuff, being stuff that you don't really believe in. And maybe worst of all, it infects your relationships. And it tends to affect and damage the most relationships that are closest to you. In all my years of um, meeting with couples that were in sort of relational crisis, I have never had one where financial issues weren't one of the issues inside, inside of all that. Wonder why that is. Wonder why that is. So to close this out, what I'd like <clears throat> invite you to do, yeah, just get comfortable in your chair. Shake it out. Put your pen, your paper down. You can close your eyes if that feels good. You don't need to. And put your hands out, palms up, like Dustin had us do a while ago. Relax them. If you're sitting with the person whom you need to figure this all out with, I'd invite you to hold their hand. Yeah, I know, this is kind of touchy-feely, right? So stretch. You, this is good for you. The other hand is palm up. That palm up hand is both receiving and giving. Stuff is coming into your life, and it's going out of your life. It's healthy. It's good. It's how it's intended. It's not just money. There are lots of things, experiences, worries, obligations. But we're in this together. 
Take another breath. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening. We hope these conversations are helpful and connective. You can find out more about Fabric at fabricmpls.com. There you can find notes from previous conversations and other resources for deepening your relationships with the threads of yourself, others, and that third strand we often call God. You can also find ways of connecting to a group, whether you're in the Twin Cities or not. You can join in supporting this community financially too. It's through the generous giving of people like you that Fabric is sustained. Again, that's fabricmpls.com. Thanks for being Fabric in your unique way.